Good evening, Gresham Bible Church. How are we? Good, great. Rousing response there. <clears throat> um, welcome. My name is Eric. I'm excited to open God's Word with you this evening. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4. So uh, in my Bible and in Elise Peter's Bible, it's page 1016. I don't know what page number it is in your Bible. 1 Peter 4. Um, Megan, plug your ears. There are 53 days until football season. So seven weeks from Thursday, the Bills will play the Rams. The NFL season will get kicked off. I love football. I love the Seahawks. But I love the Oklahoma Sooners even more. I'm from Oklahoma. We'll get into that a little bit later. We've had three really great coaches at Oklahoma. Bob Stoops, Barry Switzer, and Bud Wilkinson. So I'm really excited for our new guy, Brent Venables. That's why that Lincoln Riley creep didn't work out, right? He didn't have the right name. Um, but I want to talk about Bud Wilkinson for a moment. Bud is one of the greatest college football coaches of all time. He led my beloved Oklahoma Sooners to three national championships way back in the 1900s, in the, in the 1950s to be precise. He won 83% of his games, which even today is good for 10th all time on the coaching list. He lost two games in a season one time in the entire decade of the 1950s. He went 12 years without losing a conference game. His most incredible achievement, though, by far, is his 47-game winning streak. Just unbreakable, right? It stands to this very day. It probably will never be broken. Uh, case in point, a few years ago in 2005, USC got to 34 wins in a row, but they were still an entire season away from breaking Bud's record. Coach Bud was a brilliant football coach, and he was also a physical fitness fanatic. He served President John F. Kennedy on his presidential council for physical fitness. And while he was on the council, he was asked his opinion of football as it was gaining in popularity, becoming a national sport. Uh, so they asked him, Coach Bud, what's your opinion on football? And he said, football is lacking for it consists of 22 men who are desperately in need of rest being watched by 20,000 people who are desperately in need of exercise. And unfortunately, this statement can be applied to the church today. Some people will serve until they collapse. They need to learn to rest and how to say no. Some people need to step out of the bleachers and onto the field and get in the game. Our passage is going to give hope to those of you desperately needing rest, and it's going to call others of you out of the bleachers and onto the field. We are continuing our summer series 
on the church on display, looking at the one and other passages throughout the New Testament. And I chose the passage on serving. I know about serving. I've served in many various capacities in this church over the last 15 years. And I, I, was, trying, I was thinking it through. I think the only thing I haven't done yet is women's ministry. So if you need any help, worship night, I could bang a drum or something. No, I, I chose the passage on service, and then I dug into the passage, and I discovered that the main idea is not service. The main idea is that we love one another. We, the church, need to keep loving one another. And we'll see that we love one another in two ways, by showing hospitality and by serving one another. So here's our outline. Here's where we are going this afternoon. We, the church, are to live with open hearts, open homes, and open hands. All right? Let's read our passage. 1 Peter 4, verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, and would you now open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your law. Do this work in us. Pour out your love in us so that it overflows. Help us be aware of your varied grace and the gifts that we have. Help us to serve in the strength that you supply in order that in everything you would be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The context of our passage here is established up in verse 7. Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. So from Peter's perspective, as he writes this letter, Jesus has come. He has fulfilled all the law and the prophets. He died. He rose. He ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit, the helper, has come down and indwells believers. The end is near. The end of all things is at hand, meaning Jesus Christ can return at any moment to establish his kingdom here on earth forever. From our perspective, 2022, the end is nearer today than it's ever been. And tomorrow, the end will be even nearer than it's ever been. The end of all things is at hand. And since the end is near, verse 7 goes on and says, Therefore, 
be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Self-controlled, sober-minded people are people of prayer. They're kingdom-minded. Be ready for Jesus to return by being self-controlled, sober-minded prayers. Be serious and be vigilant in your prayer. And then we arrive at verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another. The most important way to be ready for Jesus to return is to keep loving one another. And that's what I mean by open hearts. Keep loving one another. This isn't talking about affectionate feelings type love with people you get along with, with the people who are easy to love. This is the love of God in our heart pouring out on those around us. And Peter says, keep loving one another earnestly. The idea is with every ounce of your strength, consistently, love the unlovely, love the stranger, love the person who is different from you, love the person who has harmed you. Keep loving one another with all your strength, with every ounce of your strength. Love the one you don't get along with. Love the one that's hard to love. Love the person who doesn't think the way you do. Keep loving one another earnestly. And verse 8 continues, Since love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. First, hear me say, only the blood of Jesus forgives sins. So what we're talking about here is not forgiveness, but what we're talking about is us as a church, as we live at the end of all things, this is how we survive and thrive together. Our love covers a multitude of sins. If you love someone, it's easy to forgive. Remember 1 Corinthians 13, the great love chapter. Look at what it says about love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. As we love one another earnestly, we aren't nitpicky. Thank God that Megan's love for me covers a multitude of sins. Imagine if I had to hear from her how I constantly fall short of the glory of God. What a nightmare. Now, there is a time and place for loving confrontation. We still must fight and kill our sin, and we need each other to do that. There's a place for wisdom and discernment to know when a sin can be covered by continuing to love a person and when a sin should be exposed and may God grant us the wisdom. But the pattern of our life should be love one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sin. Verse 8 also serves a reminder that God's love covers a multitude of sin. If we think back to the garden and Adam and Eve's original sin, God came to them 
and he covered their shame. He made clothes for them, and he, he actually really covered them. They deserved death. The wages of sin is death. But God, in his love, covered them. We are sinners. And the, the holy, the perfect, the set-apart God still loves us. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 8 is a call to love one another with all our strength, to bear with one another, to not let petty differences divide us, to cover sins and not let bitterness fester and grow. We live with open hearts toward one another. One way to keep loving one another is through our open homes. So now we are in verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Again, from Peter's perspective as he's writing this letter, without hospitality, the early church would not have existed. Churches met in people's spare rooms or on their roofs or wherever they could gather together. It'd be about 200 years before a dedicated church building would be built. In the meantime, it was up to the hospitality of the early Christians to host the weekly gathering. Early missionaries like Peter and Paul were dependent on the hospitality of fellow believers as they traveled around spreading the gospel and planting churches. And we even know some of their names. While Peter was in Joppa, he stayed with Simon the Tanner. While Paul was in Corinth, he stayed with Aquila and Priscilla. Hospitality was vital to the establishment and growth of the early church. Hospitality is not as technically vital to the current church's existence, but I submit to you it is absolutely vital to the health of the church. We need it in a different way than they did. The friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, or strangers is an important way for us to love one another. One of the most important ministries of our church is community groups. These groups would not happen without the hospitality of people like the Hardens, like the Stricklands, the Wellses, the Dolls, the Matthewses. Thank you all for loving us by showing hospitality. We, all, uh, we also should regularly be in each other's homes, getting to know each other, encouraging each other. One of Gresham Bible Church's distinctives is that we do life together, not alone. We deeply believe that the church is a family and not an event we attend. This is why we are relationally driven in our practice. This is why we are committed to practicing meaningful church membership. And I'm going to add, and this is why we continue to have community groups in each other's homes. We do life together, not alone. As I was thinking about hospitality, my mind went back to my hometown, Locust Grove, Oklahoma. Population, 1,500. There, you will find the most hospitable people on God's green earth. I left Oklahoma to go to college in Southern California, and my junior year of college, I brought my girlfriend 
Megan Snodgrass, home to Oklahoma, with me for spring break. We attended church that Sunday at my home church, uh, but we, we arrived late. I don't know what was up with that. We walked in at the end of a song, and as we found our seats, the worship leader, who's been the worship leader there for decades, the great Les Kern, he welcomed me personally back to church, right there from the stage. And then I'll never forget, he said, Eric's home and he brought his girlfriend Megan, so be sure you greet them. I, I was so proud <laughs> of my church at that moment. It was so loving and friendly and generous, that welcome. Quite unexpected, unsuspected. Uh, but the real reason I thought of home when thinking about hospitality is because of Terry Black. She is the most hospitable person I've ever known. Terry's son, Luke, was my best friend in high school. We were in a rock band together. I honed my drumming skills behind him, shredding that teal blue Stratocaster. We got into all kinds of mischief together. The one time I got arrested involved a night out with Luke. That's a story for another time. I spent a lot of time at Luke's house, and Terry always made me feel at home. She learned early on my snack of choice is Cheez-Its, and now you all know. She made it a point to always have Cheez-Its on hand in case I might show up. She's that kind of lady. So on that spring break trip, when I brought Megan back home, I took her out to the Black House to meet the family. And Terry greeted her with the hugest, warmest hug. And she said, E loves you, so I love you. She always called me E. Megan was a stranger to Terry. But that's not true, is it? Terry has never met a stranger. She lives out, verse 9, show hospitality without grumbling. And a quick aside, I've been thinking about the blacks a lot lately. Uh, Kevin, Terry's husband, was recently diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. I've prayed a lot for Kevin and Terry in the last few days. That the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort would comfort Kevin and Terry in all their affliction. So show hospitality without grumbling. Without grumbling. <laughs> Welcome people into your home, even if it's not spotless. Even if they show up unannounced. Insert whatever your biggest annoyance is. Our open hearts enable us to open our homes without grumbling. So we show that we have open hearts by having open homes and by having open hands. Helping hands, but I love alliteration, so we're going with open hands. Verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. All believers have received a gift from God. God gives these gifts so that we will serve one another. Because we are, or we should be, good stewards. A steward is responsible for what happens to his master's goods. But they're not the steward's goods. He's the responsible party. We are to be responsible with the gifts God gives us. God invests these gifts in us, and he expects a return. We are stewards 
of God's varied grace. These gifts are God's grace in our lives, his, his varied grace. We're all different, every one of us. God's grace gifts are different, and they're varied for each one of us. We'll look at these gifts in the two categories that Peter lays them out, in words or deeds, or again, because I'm a Baptist at heart and I can't resist alliteration, speaking and serving. Verse 11, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. The first category of gifts are speaking gifts, are word gifts. Some examples would be teaching, encouragement, wisdom, knowledge. I want to be careful and I don't want to get hung up on naming all the possible gifts since the point isn't to identify which gift you have. The point is to serve one another with your gift. So if your heart goes out to the lonely person in the room, uh, and, and you go to them and build them up and encourage them, you're serving them with your love and your empathy. If you love welcoming the newcomer to church, making them feel welcome and at home, you're serving them with your hospitality. Do what you're led or called to do in serving one another and thereby act as a good steward of God's varied grace. Okay, for example, I believe I'm gifted to preach. Maybe at this point you would disagree. But I'm okay with that because the, the whole process of preparing a sermon, of studying the word and of standing here and delivering it to you, it's life-giving to me. And verse 11 says, as I speak, I trust you're not hearing my whims and my opinions, but you are hearing oracles of God. Not that my word is God's word, but that what I am saying is in line with God's word and that he takes it and applies it to your heart. All of us on the preaching team strive to speak to you the oracles of God. What you hear from this pulpit lines up with the scriptures and that's what they mean by the oracles of God, the scriptures, the very word of God. The other category of gifts is deeds or serving. Verse 11 continues, Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. When we move back to Dexter in a few weeks, and you sign up to be on the setup team, and you arrive at 8 or 8.30 on Sunday morning, and you unload that closet, and you stack those chairs, you are loving us by serving us, and God provides the strength. When you're rocking, crying babies in the nursery or corralling, wandering toddlers or middle schoolers or high schoolers, you are loving us by serving us. God provides the strength. When you greet or lead us in singing or elder or over us or serve as a deacon or lead a summer book group, you are loving us by serving us, and God provides the strength. We are to love one another earnestly with all our strength, and then here it is, 
God provides the strength. You will never run out of the strength required to love one another because God will never run out of strength. The well from which we draw is bottomless. If you are not currently actively serving in the church, I hope this word encourages you to find a place to use your gifts. Talk to Jordan about helping in youth group. Talk to Carrie or Bethany about serving in a kid's class. Talk to one of our deacons, Sarah, John, Rachel, Jason, about opportunities to serve and use your gifts. There are many varied opportunities. Seek them out and love us by serving us with your gifts. Now there's another group out there, and I'm part of this, who need to cut back on your serving. There was a point earlier this year, uh, parentheses, before Josh preached his excellent sermon on the Sabbath that he called saying no to saying yes. Look it up. It's worth your time. There was a point earlier this year where I was leading a community group, leading a men's group, helping in middle school youth group, regularly playing the drums, and preaching on occasion out at Hollyview. And that's nonsense. Actually, that's putting it too lightly because that's foolish and prideful and arrogant. My home, my wife, my kids were neglected as I tried to be everywhere all at once. Here's a newsflash. I am not omnipresent. I know, shocking. God is omnipresent. God is everywhere, all the time, all at once. It's one of his most incredible attributes. There is nowhere where God is not. He is always everywhere. His own name, I am, exclaims that he is. He is present. He is everywhere. We are never at a distance from God. When I try to be everywhere, I'm trying to be God. I'm making myself out to be God because of my pride. I think, oh, I can do that. I can handle that. I can lead that. Because of my arrogance, if I don't lead that, then who will? No one else could do that. I better do that. I must recognize that I am not God. I am limited by time and space and place. I'm limited. So in my limitation, I'm free. I am free to be present where I am. I'm going to let God be God. I'll let him be everywhere, all the time, all at once. And I'll serve in my one or two, three places. In the strength that God supplies. My first priority must be my home, my wife, and my kids. God gives us gifts so we will use them to serve one another. Encourage each other. Build each other up. All of us are gifted by God. 
Are you using your gifts to serve us? To love us? The thought you have when you leave church should not be, "Ah, I didn't get much out of that. Instead, you should leave church thinking, I gave of myself today. I met someone's need today. I served in the strength that God supplies. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Verse 11, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. And the end of verse 11 gives us the reason to live this way. The reason we are to love one another by showing hospitality and serving one another in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. God is glorified through Jesus Christ as we love one another in the strength that God supplies. As we serve each other with our various grace gifts. God is glorified through Jesus Christ. It is through Jesus Christ that we receive our gifts. Therefore, it is through Jesus Christ that God is glorified as we love one another and use those gifts. And Peter just launches into praise. To him belong all the glory and the dominion forever and ever. So is Peter referring to God the Father or Jesus Christ in this sentence? Yes, probably Jesus, but yes, either way, it's wonderfully true. To him, to God the Father, belong glory through Jesus and dominion, that is might and power and supremacy and sovereignty and control forever and ever. And also to Jesus Christ belong the glory and the might and the power and the sovereignty forever and ever. Amen. Church, the end of all things is at hand. Keep loving one another earnestly. Show hospitality and serve one another in the strength that God supplies. If you've been on the sidelines, it's time to get in the game. Exercise your gifts for the good of us all. Jesus makes this possible. He provides the strength. Trust him for it. This isn't a call to grit your teeth and try harder at being loving. Consider what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. He redeemed you from slavery to sin. He raised you from the dead. He gives you his own righteousness. He promises to be with you, to never leave you. That should make your heart sing, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. That should motivate you to live life worthy of the calling to which you've been called. To live holy lives by loving one another in the strength God supplies. If you're here and you don't believe what I said, if you haven't trusted Jesus for the forgiveness and covering of your sins, the end of all things is near. We will all give account to God the judge. If you stand before him on your own, you won't stand a chance. 
But if you trust his son, Jesus, Jesus will stand in your place. God the judge will see his son and he will accept you based on what Jesus has done. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are everywhere and you are all-powerful and the strength that you provide will never run out. Keep us close to you. Help us to tap into that. Help us to use our gifts to love one another. That you, Father, would be glorified through Jesus Christ. In whose name we